You're about to listen to a message by Pastor Oge Ogwe, the lead pastor of Circle Church International. He envisions all men living Christ-centered lives. Be blessed as you listen. His appearance or his stature, because I have rejected him, man does not see what the Lord sees. For man sees what is visible, but the Lord sees the heart. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you because the entrance of your word gives light and it gives understanding to the simple. Thank you because in the beginning was the word, the word was with God and the word was God. And the same was with God in the beginning and all things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life and the life was the light of men. That light shines in darkness and darkness cannot comprehend it, we pray. That as the word of God is taught today, that it will shine in the dark corners of our hearts and bring illumination in the name of Jesus. The world dwelt, the word dwelt amongst us and we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. We pray that as the word of God is taught today, that we will behold that glory as we beheld it before in the name of Jesus. We pray that as the word is taught today, Jesus is glorified and we are edified. In Jesus' name we have prayed. Amen. In Jesus' name we have prayed. In Jesus' name we have prayed. All right, sit down. It's nice to have you in church. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. All right, so we read. Interesting. So we read from 1 Samuel chapter 16 verse 7 1st Samuel chapter 16 verse 7 and God was speaking to Samuel and many of you would know the story the story was um, that you can you can switch that off and praise the Lord so the story was that God sent Samuel to the house of Jesse to anoint the next king. Can we do something about this? Chooks, please help. Even if it means switching to the other microphone, I don't think I can preach with that sound. So please, let's move, let's move, let's move. God sent Samuel to the house of Jesse and asked him to anoint the next king. And Samuel gets to the house of Jesse to anoint David, and then um, he gets there and he sees these beautiful-looking specimens. There was Eliab. Eliab was tall, somewhat dark. He was brown and handsome. He, you know, he was exotic-looking. And when, you know, Samuel saw Eliab and said, surely this is the Lord's anointed. Have you met people like that? You know that people that look like they should be leaders? They have the look. They have the feel. And they say, hi. You're like, yes, lead me. Just keep leading me to wherever you're going to. And so Samuel, he has already brought out the anointing oil bottle. He has already told Eliab to kneel down. That kneel down, let me pray for you. You are the Lord's anointed. And the Bible says that before Samuel did so, the Lord said to Samuel, don't do it. He said, because you don't see the way the Lord sees. He said, man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the inward appearance. This tells us 
Is it me or has the sound stopped? All right. So this tells us that many times in places where we have opinions, God could have contradictory opinions, even if our opinions make sense. Does that make any sense? So I could have an opinion of something, that this is the way God wants this thing to be done. But God could also have his own contradictory opinion. And as a believer, it behoves on me to let go of my opinion and align with the opinion of God, even if it doesn't make sense. Because let me tell you the truth. David was not the sensible choice for a king. If you want to choose a leader, you won't choose a rascal. You know, David was a rascal. David was, you know, many people think of King David and they think of a kingly person, a priestly person. The man was not kingly in any way. He didn't have charisma or swag, as many of us will call it in our time. He was a rascal. I mean, the, the ark of the Lord was getting into the, into the place and this young man took off his clothes. You are the king. You are the king. He took off his clothes, bare-chested, looking like Brother Shaggy on the road, and was dancing. And then you can imagine his wife with her face inside her arm, like, what is, who did I marry? And then, so this man wasn't the sensible, obvious choice. And yet he was God's choice. When God leads, we follow, even if it doesn't make sense. Are you getting what I'm saying? When God leads, we follow. Even if what God is saying to do doesn't make immediate sense. And we could see what God saw when he asked Samuel not to anoint Eliab later. When they were face to face with Goliath. David was passing by. Eliab was there. And, he, and David heard Goliath blasphemed the name of the Lord. Eliab heard it all the while and Eliab did nothing. David heard it and it stirred him up. He said, no, no, you can't blaspheme the name of our God. Say, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that dares to blaspheme the name of our God? So David comes to the battlefield and his elder brothers, they see him and they're like, uh -uh, what are you doing here? And Eliab said to David, he said, who did you leave our father's few sheep with? Spoke about their father's walk with so much disdain. So if God had entrusted Israel in Eliab's hands, Eliab would have been enticed by the wealth of other nations. Do you understand? And he would have um, made of no, if, of no value the work that God put in his hands. That is what God saw that Samuel could not see. There's no way you can see that by looking at somebody physically. Are you getting this? There's no way Samuel could have seen that. But God saw it. And so many times, God's opinion, what God sees, will vary from what you see. God will have an opinion about a matter, and you will too. God will have an opinion about where you should school, and you will too. God will have an opinion about who you should marry, and you will too. 
And sometimes those opinions will not meet. But as a believer, the right thing to do is not my will, but your will be done. When Jesus prayed that prayer, it tells you something. He had a will. When he said, not my will, but your will be done, he had a will that he knew was different from the will of God. And guess what God's will for him was? To die. <laughs> Nobody likes that. You know, some people say, why did Jesus cry? Why did he cry on the cross? Because he was dying. Nobody likes to die. Even if you've been prepared, let me ask you a question. If you were prepared all your life to die, would you be ready on the day of your death? In fact, I believe that the longer the preparation, the more difficult it will be. Because you mean, I mean, God not help you in the middle of you not fall in love with somebody. That's it. You will jack by, you run away. You will look. And I'm saying all of that because we have entered into a new teaching series. Um, and we titled today's teaching, Financial Stewardship. And um, it's not so much as financial stewardship as it is general stewardship. But we just call the financial stewardship to keep in tune with the teaching series. So we're talking about money and the Bible's approach to it. And so we want to talk about financial stewardship. Raise your hand if you think that you are financially, um, um, modest is not the word, prudent. Yes. Raise your hand if you think you're financially prudent. Raise your hand above your head. God bless you. Put your hands down. Now, raise your hand if, like me, you know that you are not prudent at all. That Chicken Republic has finished your money. Yeah. <laughs> and so, we want to talk about financial stewardship. And the first thing people think about is, oh, we want to talk about savings, we want to talk about investments. Well, not here. <laughs> not now. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Luke chapter 12. That's where our teaching is from. Luke chapter number 12. We're going to be reading from verse 15 so that the media guys can project it. Luke chapter 12, we're reading from verse 15. Are you there? All right. He then told them. What did he tell them? He says, watch out and be on guard against all greed because one's life is not in the abundance of his possessions. Say, my life, my life is not, not in the abundance, the abundance of my possessions. He says, one's life is not in the abundance of his possessions. Can I get this in the KJV, please? And thank you for giving me the HCSB, but can we switch to the um, version that Jesus wrote by himself? I'm just joking. KJV. All right. Next verse. Verse 16. He says, and he spoke a parable unto them. So remember, the way Jesus taught was he would give a premise, then the parable will sub, um, support the premise. Is that true? So the parable he wants to speak, all right, is to support his statement that you should take heed against covetousness because one's life is not in the abundance of things that he owns. Is that true? And this is the parable he gave. Next verse. Um. Okay, go back, please. I, I didn't finish that verse. He says, and he spake a parable unto them, saying, the ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. Next verse. 
And he thought within himself saying, what shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. This man had a problem that every business owner prays to have. Am I saying the truth? As a business owner, if you are a tailor, you pray to God that you will have more orders than you can execute. Is that true? It's better to have more than to have less, isn't it? If you were a farmer, you would pray to God that you will have more harvest than you care to save. This was the problem this man had. And he started to think to himself, what should I do? I have so much fruit, I don't have where to keep it. I mean, talk about harvest. Now, next verse. And he said, this is what I will do. He says, I will pull down my barns and build greater ones. And there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. Next verse. And I will say to my soul, soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine what? You know what that phrase means in English? Relax and be taken care of. That's it. I mean, have you finished writing exams before? And all you want to do is just watch a movie, eat like you stole something, and sleep. Am I saying the truth? Do you ever come back from a very difficult day of work and you just want to, I mean, Friday evening, you just want to take off your shoes, you don't care where the shoes landed. You just want to lie down, put on the TV. Whatever is showing on TV, it doesn't really matter. Just be watching the thing and rest. This is what this man was doing. I've got so much harvest. I don't know what to do with all this harvest. He says, I have harvest for years to come. So what am I going to do? I'm going to, I'm going to pull down the barns that I have, build bigger barns so that I can store the harvest for the years that are to come right? Then what's the next thing I'm going to do? I'm going to sit back. I will say to my soul that my guy tried to enjoy. Problem no the finish. Right? That's what he was doing. He says, take thine ease. Eat, drink, and be merry. Next verse. But God said unto him, you fool, this night your soul will be required of you. He says, then whose shall these things be which thou hast provided. Next verse. So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Listen, I started this teaching by telling you that you can, you can have your own idea of what you ought to do. Are you getting me? And God will have his own idea of what you ought to do. And the truth is this. Every one of us in this man's shoes will do the same thing. Am I saying the truth? I mean, I mean, even you don't even have to have plenty harvest. Your uncle calls you because of financial prudence. Your uncle calls you and gives you a hundred thousand naira. Do you blow the hundred thousand naira at once? What do you do? You divide it. You separate flex money. You separate savings money. You separate investment money. Am I saying the truth? And what some of you you don't know what bitcoins are about, but you buy them. Do I have a problem with bitcoins? No, I don't. Do you get it? So you buy bitcoins, you buy investments. Some of you, your own investment plan is to borrow people the money. You just look for guys that guy, let me give you 10k. Now you give me after how far? How you see him? Because you are you are envisioning when Sakpa is going to come knocking. So that I just see how far that stuff now. Is this true? 
every one of us would have done what this man did. And before God, would have all been fools. Does that make you think? <laughs> now, is God against savings and investments? No. Not at all. God is not against savings and investments. How do we know? Jesus told a parable about the talents. Remember that parable? The first person he gave how many talents? Five. Okay, let's count down. So five, right? The next person he gave how many? And then the next one he gave. Now, the one that he gave five went and multiplied the five and brought ten. Is that true? The one he gave two or three went and multiplied it and brought four or six. Is that true? But the one that he gave one hid it. And then when the master came back, he said you could have put it somewhere, let it accrue interest. Is that true? So God has no problem with savings and investments. But there is in the kingdom of God a structure laid down by which and through which money must be used. Are you getting what I'm saying? Now, remember this parable was told to buttress a point. Can you give us verse 15 again? This parable that we just read, this beautiful parable that we just read, was told to buttress a point. And what was that point? And he said unto them, take heed and beware of what? Of what? He says, for a man's life consisted not, not in the abundance of the things which he owns. So this parable that you just read was told to buttress one point. And here's the problem. Every one of us fit, um, fits into the same category. Many of us save money not because of the future, but because of fear. Many of us save money because of covetousness. Why are you saving money? I, I want to say raise your hand, but you are more righteous than I, so you won't raise your hands. But many of you, you have these daydreams of meeting those your classmates or classmates that you didn't really like when you were in school. We all have that classmate that we don't really like. And then we have this daydream that when we meet them, we'll be better than them. Financially, we'll drive in with white bands or black, whichever one is your color. And then, you know, you just step out. And many, if you, are, if you have a vivid mind, you have acted how the drama is going to look. And so, it is for this reason that you save. It is for this reason you invest. Many of us, why are you saving? Why are you investing? I saw this other person's car. I must get it. It says, take heed so that you don't slip into covetousness. You know, covetousness is more than wanting what other people have. No, that's not what covetousness is. Covetousness is putting your self-worth in what other people have. Do you get this? Not only in what other people have, but at some point in what you have. Some of you know what I am saying. It gets to a point where money enters your account and you lose your mind. Like, some of you, you've caught yourself talking down at people because you had small change in your account. And then you wonder, ah, ah, what's going on? 
Some of you have friends that you know. You can tell when they have money. You can, they, you, they don't need to tell you. You can just tell by the way they behave, by the way they move and act. Just, ah, somebody has sent this person money. Jesus said, your life does not consist in the abundance of things you own. So if your savings, if your investment, if all your financial prudence as valuable in those moments. Some people, see, you can do anything anywhere, but once money is concerned, they are triggered. Listen, it might be you. See, it is okay to have guilty pleasures. You know what I mean by guilty pleasures? Those things that if you, if you had a lot of money, you would, you would spend on them. For me, gadgets are my guilty pleasure. I like buying gadgets. A whole lot of them. I don't care about, okay, I like cars, but not that much. I'm fine with a car. Fine, but you see gadgets, oh Lord Jesus. <laughs> right? So some people have guilty pleasures like shoes or like clothes. Some people have weird guilty pleasures. Um, some people like um, food. It's not a weird guilty pleasure. It's actually okay. It's okay to have all of those. See where the problem really is? Is when you identify yourself with those things. Do you understand? So, um, you, you, don't, you feel less than the next person if the mobile phone you are using is not as expensive as their own. And we live in a culture that does that. I saw a tweet somewhere that iPhone users will see another iPhone user and immediately turn to the back to see who is using a better iPhone. Is it true? And so, and, and here's the thing about material things. Raise your hand if you were old enough to appreciate gadgets when Blackberries were in vogue. Raise your hand if you used one. You used a Blackberry. Boy, they were the thing now. They were the thing then. Do you know how much a Blackberry passport used to go for then? Pre-Buhari era, era used to go for 320K. I can't forget. Pre-Buhari, do you know how much that is? If you, if you account for inflation... Between then and now, inflation has risen by about 300%. So if you account for inflation, the value of the BlackBerry Passport then, now, will be about 900K. Yeah, that's how expensive it was. Now, think about this. Today, you can check Gigi or just open your phone now and check. You can buy BlackBerry Passport for 60K. In Buari area, era, like... So, you attach so much value to material things that depreciate. What does that say about you? This is why God calls the person a fool. So, you pull down your barn, you build a bigger barn, and you store all the fruits. What if insects go into that barn? All your self-worth will be destroyed with those insects. Look, see, God is not against saving money. I'll say that again and again. So that you don't go away thinking, Pastor said we should not save. No. But God is against you saving money as a means to increase your self-worth. Praise the Lord. You are not worth your assets and liabilities. 
Are you hearing me? You are not worth your assets and liabilities. You are not worth what is in your bank account. How you measure the worth of a thing is by how much was paid for it. Is that true? Well, blood was shed for you. So you are worth more. This is important. Listen, it is nice to say that we are empowering one another by teaching, you know, you teach a person a trade and all those things are good. But listen, the most important thing you can teach a Christian is that your worth, not the most important thing, but the very important thing you can teach a Christian is that your worth comes from more than money or material things. The true beginning of financial stewardship is to understand who you are in Christ. If you don't, money will be a master to you. If you read verse 21 of the scripture we just read, you see Jesus talk about, um, he said, so is the one who lays up treasures for himself, but is not rich towards God. Listen, there is an understanding that fuels a life that is lived towards God. And that understanding is he gave his life for me, so I will give my life for him. Does that make sense? So you will first of all, be well-rooted and grounded in the understanding that the life you live now was given to you by God. You see many Christians, listen, you see many Christians arguing about tithing. And I'm, I'm going to do a teaching on it this morning. Or I'm going to explain tithing. But you see many Christians arguing about tithing and um, um, how much we should give, how much we shouldn't give. Let me ask you a question. Your father who paid your school fees from your nursery school all the way to final year. And if you were like me, extra year. Don't laugh at me. <laughs> An extra year, right? Your father who paid your school fees all the way. If he calls you and says, every month, I want you to be giving me 10,000 naira for upkeep. Would you argue? I say, Abba, 10K for what? We are not under the law, we are under grace. Why won't you argue? You understand deeply that if you give that man 10K every month till the day you die, or for those of you that grew up um, with single mothers, you give your mother 10K every month till the day you die, it will still not match up to how much he sacrificed for you. Do you understand? So even in your mind, you will be like, 10K, okay. If you can afford 10K, you will do it. If you can afford more, you say, I'll do better. Yet we stand and then you see Christians arguing, we should not give tithe. Why are we still giving tithe? What are they using the tithe for self? Somebody gave his life for you. The least you can do is give your material things to him. Is that true? <laughs> he says, so is the one who lays up treasures for himself. The question God asked that rich fool is very important. He said, if you die tonight, whose will all of these things be? Whose? Listen, believer. Make money. Money stops nonsense. It's true. 
It's true. A wise man once said it, and he was wise in saying so. Make money, it is good. Money, <laughs> but there has to be a regulation to how far you can go for money. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Yeah. Let me tell you. Let me tell you a secret. When you are budgeting every month, budget your giving allowance. Like. Money that you would give out, budget it. Bu- budget it. Even if your income, are you hearing me? It's 5K. Budget to give out 100 naira. The person you are giving 100 naira to might not appreciate it. Because 100 naira really doesn't have value in that in our country. But <laughs> the person might not appreciate it. But you, you are training yourself. Are you hearing what I'm saying? You are training yourself. Before you get a car, start envisioning giving the car out. That I will, I will have a car and one day I'll be able to give it out. Some of you might think, ah, you enter some homes, they have 10 cars. One of those cars has been there for 20 years. Why didn't you give it out? Okay, it has spoiled in your house. Now you've moved it, you've packed it aside, you're now using it for space. Why didn't you give the car out? What were you using it to do? <laughs> you know, a couple of years ago, um, and this was not really, ma- it was not really, it's not a great example. Um, we heard um, um, Beyonce and her husband built a house that has about 200 rooms. But then, it, because it's not really that they built it. I'm not a fan, so. But I, it's not fair to just malign. They built the house, but then staff people stay in the house. They have a studio in the house. So it's like a, it's a house that is an office. So it kind of makes sense. Kind of. And when they said you not see believers, goals. Goals. Now, your own is not that you have people, staff people that you want to employ that will be staying in your house. And, you just had 200 rooms. Ah, goals. Why? Do you know that even if you dismembered your body, You cannot sleep in the 200. Why? A full-grown adult has 206 bones in his body. Am I right? Those of you that did medicine. So, is that, is that your plan? That so you start from your phalanges, the small one will stay here. Why? Where is Jesus? <laughs> and you must see, let me tell you the truth here. If you don't prepare for financial abundance, when it comes, it will use less you. When it comes, you won't know what to do. You'll just find out that you're misbehaving because money has come. If you don't start training yourself now to not be attached to material things, it will be worse when you have. Have you seen rich men that are very stingy? You, you probably think that they are just stingy people. No. They are stingy because it came from when they were not rich. They didn't deal with it then, so they can't deal with it now. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So if you will learn Christian financial stewardship, the way God wants money to be used, you will start training yourself from where you don't have enough. 
Are you hearing me? You start training yourself from where you don't have enough. Last week, we, we used the church in Macedonia as an example for ourselves. Remember that. And then Paul was talking about the church in Macedonia in 1 Corinthians 8, 2 Corinthians 8. 2 Corinthians 8. Paul was talking about the church in Macedonia. And he talked about how they were deeply poor, but extremely generous. And he called it a grace of God in their lives. And he said he would like us to learn that grace also. Now, now, I told you something that Christian giving will always be sacrificial. No matter how little you are giving, it will always take something from you. That money could have been put into something else. That thing you've given, that time you gave, could have been put into something else. Your resources could have been put somewhere else. But you decided to use it for the gospel. That's how you train yourself. Because before God, little is much. Are you hearing what I'm saying? He that is faithful in little is, not will be, is faithful in much. He didn't say he that is faithful in little will be faithful in much. So if you're faithful in this little, I'll give you much. No. When God sees how you've handled a thousand naira, he knows how you handle a million. Do you understand this? Yeah. Many of you, what you don't understand is that the, the divide between you and the prayers that you've, the answer to the prayers you've been praying is learning how to abase and abound. Because there are some of you that for your own sake, God will withhold some level of prosperity from you. Because you can lose your mind. Some of you know what I'm saying. You won't want to show it now because... For your own sake, God will say no. Because God saw 100K that you were not expecting entered your hand. Ah. Immediately entered you, just opened Jumia, GG, ASOS, eBay, just a shopping. And it tells you are stacking up treasures for yourself, but you are not rich towards God. You go an entire week, you know Sunday is coming. You didn't plan how much you give for offering. You didn't plan for offering. But that entire week, you flexed. You spent money. Then we get to church and say, it's offering time. I said, you know that. Hmm. You, know, start doing, you know that calculation thing we do in our minds? You don't want to bring the money out and count it. So they will not see you counting the money. You'll be like, okay. I carried 2,000 naira as I was leaving the house. I entered bus 400. So I should have one six in my pocket. Hmm. 200 naira. You're not, bring, you're not putting on this money. Bring out <laughs> God has a problem with you doing that. Are you hearing what I'm saying? God has a problem with you doing that. He has a problem with you living like that. Where there is no budget for God in your life. You don't budget for God. You don't watch out for what he wants. All you do all you do is spend on yourself and things that make you look good. I'm telling you now, God has a problem with this. We read it. We read it. He said, you fool. He says, your soul will be required of you tonight. He says, when you die, whose money would it be? Jesus says, so it is with everybody who lays up treasures for themselves but are not rich towards God. There's such a thing as being rich towards God. 
This is financial stewardship. Yes, save all you want to save. Have investments. There are some of you that are givers in church that you gave one time and I called and said, don't do it. Don't give again. For the next one month, save your money. Some of you know what I'm saying. I'll call you, I'll tell you. I've been noticing for the last few, and I notice. So for the last few weeks now, you've been giving every week. Do you even have savings? Do you have savings? Say, I have savings. Save your money. Because God wants you to save his wisdom to do so. You get it. He wants you to have investments, his wisdom to do so. But you see where the problem is, eh? Is when everything that comes into your hand goes into savings, investments, and flex. And God is like, where am I in your finances? And don't forget, he told this parable to illustrate one thing. A man's life, see, a man's life does not consist in the abundance of things that he owns. Listen, you should never lose any material possession and lose your mind. Never! Should never happen. You should never lose money and lose your mind. You should never lose a car and lose your mind. You should never lose a house and lose your mind. Don't lose any material possession and lose your mind. Because for it to, for it to affect you, it has, it has such a terrible grip on your mind that you should start working on from now. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Some of you, 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 you would rather lose your home training and your Christian training than be scammed. It's something to work on from here and from now. You go to the park, how much is the bus? You know it's because it's raining. You know in Lagos, once it rains, every other thing goes up. Traffic goes up, traffic, um, price of buses go up. Tra- um, network, okay, network also comes down. <laughs> right? So, you go to the bus park, and you want to take a bus, and you know this bus is normally 200 naira. But because it's raining, they're calling 500 naira. You, now, you have the 500 naira to pay. It's not like you don't have it. You have it. But you decide you want to lose your mind there. You must be very mad. You must be very stupid. Is it because of rain? What nonsense? I will trek, sir. And then as you are doing it, the Holy Spirit is just looking at you like, ah. Temple of God. <laughs> Don't you should never lose your mind over material things. Start training yourself. Not just material things. You see, fame. Don't lose your I always tell people, I don't know anybody, celebrity anywhere, that I would meet and faint. Why did I faint? What exactly is making, why? Start conditioning yourself from now. Uh, you, 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 you uh, name a celebrity. Whiskey walks since he, he, do you know the interesting thing? He can walk into this place now as we move in. In church. <laughs> we wake up and cast that devil out. You can acknowledge, oh, it's nice. I see you on TV. I see you in real life. It's nice to see you. You can be starstruck. Wow. It's in front of me. This is a, it's surreal. All of those are permittable. But are you lose your mind. Something is wrong. Go. 
Are you hearing what I'm saying? Yeah, something is wrong. Something is wrong. The wrong thing has a grip on your mind. The wrong thing has a grip on your heart. Praise the Lord. Yeah. So you will start training yourself from before it is too late. Before, before you ever receive your first paycheck, decide that you'll be a tither. Why do we give tithes? I have a long teaching on tithing, and I have a short teaching on tithing. So you know what I'm going to do? I'll just do the long one. But I'm going to speed through it, okay? So in Genesis chapter 14... Um, verse 17 to 20, you can write this down. Abraham was returning back from the slaughter of kings. Um, and then um, um, he met this guy in the valley of Shaveh. Um, the name of the guy was Melchizedek. You've heard of him before, right? Popular guy. So he met Melchizedek in the valley of Shaveh. And then he gave him a tenth of everything that he had. Now, it is interesting and important to note um, that Abraham did this before Moses existed. Is that true? What does this tell you? That the practice precedes the law. Amen? Because the law came when? With whom? Right? Which means the practice precedes the law. So those people that say we don't tithe because we are no longer under the law. Now, when you read Hebrews chapter 7, it is referenced also. Is that true? And when it was referenced, it wasn't referenced as, um, you know what, Hebrews chapter 7, verse 6. Yes, Hebrews 7, 6 to 7. It says, but he whose descent is not counted from them received what? Tithes of Abraham and blessed him that had the promises. Next verse. It says, because without all um, contradiction, the less is blessed of the better. So what he was saying was that Abraham's tithe to Melchizedek was a show of honor and an acknowledgement of Melchizedek's um, superiority over Abraham. And so at best in first use, Tithing was a show of what? Honor. Does this make sense at all? Does it make sense? So in first use, before we even look to, before we even start talking about how it was used in Moses' time, it was a show of what? Honor. Praise the Lord. But then you now get to the law, and then they took what Abraham did, and divided it into three different kinds of tithes. Um, and uh, I'll just give you the types, and then I will give you um, scriptures. So you had what was called the Lord's tithe, the Lord's tithe. And you find that in Leviticus chapter 27, verse 30 to 33. Leviticus chapter 27, from verse 30 to 33. And then also in Numbers chapter 18, from verse 19 to 24. You know what? I'm going to quickly read through Leviticus 27, 30 to 33. It says, every tenth of the land's produce, grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. 
Every tenth. He says, it is holy to the Lord. If a man decides to redeem any part of his tenth, he must add a fifth to its value. Every tenth animal from the herd of flock, which passes under the shepherd's rod, will be holy to the Lord. He is not to inspect whether it is good or bad, and he is not to make a substitution for it. But if he does make a substitution, both the animal and his substitutes will be holy, and they cannot be redeemed. So there was something called the Lord's tithe. If I, if I have ten tubas of yam, if I'm, a, if I'm a farmer and I harvest ten tubas of yam, the tenth one is for the Lord. All right? If I harvest twenty tubas of yam, um, the tenth and the twentieth are for the Lord. Do you get it? Thirtieth. Um, if I harvest thirty, then the tenth, twentieth, and thirtieth belong to the Lord. Do you get it? So every tenth belongs to the Lord. That was called the Lord's tithe. All right? And then you had what was called the tithe of feasts. The tithe of feasts. You find that in Deuteronomy chapter 12 verse 6 to 7. Do you know why I'm giving you all these scriptures? So that you can know. The next time somebody wants to bamboozle you with high sounding arguments, you already know it. Do you get it? It's called training. Praise the Lord. So you have what is known as the tithe of feasts. Deuteronomy chapter 12 verse 6 to 7. I'll quickly read that. Um, it says, you are to bring there your burnt offering, offerings and sacrifices, your tents, which is your tithes, and personal contributions, your vow offerings and free will offerings, and the firstborn of your herds and flocks. You will eat there in the presence of the Lord your God and rejoice with your household in everything you do because the Lord your God has blessed you. So there was another type of tithe that the Israelites had to fulfill. And I think it was once every three years, I can't remember, at the beginning of every year, one of those two. That, what? Once every three years, thank you. That they would carry um, their tenth. So, now, there was another tenth that they carried. Don't forget, there was the tenth that belonged to the Lord. Do you get it? Then out of what remained, they would take a tenth to the temple. And what would they do with that tenth? They would eat it. It was called the tithe of feasts. So they would throw this large feast. Everybody would gather around. Everybody would submit their tents and then eat it. What does that remind you of? Love feasts. Are you getting it? Love, so it was just like a typical love feast. We'll tell you, it's just that in our age and time, we say come with food. Everybody just come with empty stomach. It's not a very good thing to do. Anyway, so you had what was called a tithe of feast. Another scripture where you say that is Deuteronomy Chapter 14, verse 22 to 26. Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 22 to 26. Actually, no, the, the tithe of feast was done every year. Um, it was the tithe for the poor that was done once every three years. So the tithe for, of feasts was done every year. So the two scriptures, Deuteronomy 12, 6 to 7, Deuteronomy 14, 22 to 26. Are you following? All right, then, verse, um, then the third one is the tithe for the poor. Okay, the tithe. For the poor. You find out in Deuteronomy 14, 28. I think we should open that one. Deuteronomy 14, 28. Are you there? All right. It says, at the end of every three years, bring a tenth of all your produce for that year and store it within your gates. What was the idea of storing it within your gates? So that those who didn't have, especially the lepers, because the lepers were always outside of the city. Do you remember that? They always cast them out of the city. So they would come to the gates and then there would be food for them. Because people from inside the city brought their tents. 
Do you get it? But you see, in all three instances, tithing had some underlying principles. The first tithe, the Lord's tithe, was to honor the Lord. Are you getting this? The second tithe, the tithes of the feasts, was to honor the body or the family of God. Right? And the third one was to help the poor. Do you get it? Now, the question is, are these three principles New Testament practices or not? Are they New Testament practices or not? Are we advised or taught in the New Testament to honor the Lord? Are we advised or taught in the New Testament to honor the body? Are we advised or taught in the New Testament to help the poor? So which means that while in the Old Testament they had to have principles. And listen, why did God give the Old Testament people laws? Jesus was speaking. And then some people came to Jesus. And then they asked him something about an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. And then Jesus said, Moses gave you these laws because of the hardness of your heart. So why God instituted these laws was because these people were hardened. If he didn't tell them to give a tithe to the poor, they would not take care of the poor. Are you getting it? If he didn't say, bring, bring your food, let's eat together, everybody will eat in their house. And facing their, minding their own business. But God doesn't want that. God wants us to live as a family. Even if they bring a tithe for the Lord, and who was the Lord's tithe for? If you read further in Deuteronomy chapter 12, it was for the Levites. It was the Levites that were to eat it. <laughs> because nobody, they were not paid a salary. So how were they supposed to feed? The tithes that people bring in for the Lord were supposed to be for the people in the Lord's house. The people who worked there. Jesus said, Moses gave you those laws because of the hardness of your heart. But there you read Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26. And it says, I will take away the stony heart out of thy flesh. And I will give you a heart of flesh. Do you understand? So that hardened heart is done away with when the Holy Spirit comes. Amen? Which means that under the New Testament, we don't need laws to give. Are you following what I am saying? We don't need laws to give. If you truly wanted to do it the New Testament way, you would give as compelled by the Holy Spirit. Praise the Lord. So why then do we still collect tithes? Honestly, in this church, the only reason why we collect tithes is because it is a fair system of giving. Do you understand? It's fair. It's fair to say, everybody, your partnership with Circle Church, as a member of Circle Church, is 10% of your income. We can't say, oh, we want everybody to bring 50,000 naira. What if you don't earn that amount? I want everybody to bring 5K. What if you don't have it? Do you get? So you know what? As the Lord has blessed you, is the rule. And as the Lord has blessed you, factors in 10%. Does it make sense at least? So there's nothing like, oh, if you don't pay your tithes, things will be tight for you. Of course, you know that, right? I addressed that last week, didn't I? So we don't, um, we don't give tithes because um, it is a spiritual principle. It, it really isn't. The underlying principle is giving. Giving is all God wants us to do. Whether you give it as a tithe, first fruit offering, vow offering, burnt offering, 
whatever offering you want to give, just give. Do you understand? And you would see something from the tight, the tight um, um, teaching that I just did. That every one of them is fueled by love. Are you getting it? Is fueled by love. The first one, the Lord's type, is fueled by love for God and his work. Do you get it? Because, see, there is a problem where or when Christians have a consumer mindset. There's a huge problem when Christians have a consumer mindset. And a lot of Christians do. Many of the Christians who are complaining that who eats the tithe? Why would the pastor take out of the tithe? And your pastor doesn't take out of your tithe. I hope you know. I don't, I don't touch it. But why would the pastor take out of the tithe? Who is supposed to? Well, many of those people who complain like that give the pastor the most work. They're the ones that won't stop calling. They're the ones that won't stop trying. They're the ones who, who always need help. So someone has been there for you that much. Do you know that if you were there, do you know that many of you, if you were doing the work your pastor did, you won't have a nine-to-five job? You can't, keep, you can't manage both. And this is not to say that if a pastor has a nine-to-five job, he's not pastoring right. But something must give. It's either the nine-to-five gives, the pastoring gives, or your sleep gives. In many cases, it's the sleep that gives. This is why many pastors die young. In case you didn't read it or you didn't know, you know what killed TB Joshua? Exhaustion. He died of being tired. I, need to, I think I need to say that. So, out of a consumer mindset, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me, but never a mindset of who is taking care of this person. A lot of people argue about why the pastors are not taking, uh, uh, how they're being taken care of. And now I agree that there are some people who go overboard in the name of I'm a pastor, take care of. People do go overboard. Uh, there was one person that I will not call a pastor. I was preaching and he said, the only way to connect to my anointing is to bribe my angels. You are a ridiculous, irresponsible person to talk like that. You are ridiculously irresponsible. Right? So, let us not exist at the extreme sides of, of the spectrum. Let us find balance. When was the last, your pastor calls you all the time to pray for you or check, when was the last time you bought data for him? I'm not going to give private data now, buy data. Because he checks up on you all the time with data. And that data comes from somewhere, right? He doesn't pray in tongues. And then MTN is like, okay, your data quota has been fulfilled. <laughs> is that true? When was the last time? When? <laughs> so the first tithe, the tithe for the Lord, was driven by a love for God and his work. And the people in the house. The second one was driven by a love for the people of God. And the third, a love for the poor people. So Christian giving must be, must be driven by love. I'm talking financial stewardship here now. It must be driven by what? By love. Not compulsion. Listen, I, don't embarrass me outside though. I don't want to hear that you went for a meeting and they were doing, there's a thousand dollar anointing in the atmosphere, so a thousand and you went out, I will, I will fight you. I will fight you. Christian giving must never be compelled. Are you getting what I'm saying? 
It must never be compelled. It must be done by love. Now, this is the the beautiful thing about love. Love bestows on you a sense of duty. Is this true? Love bestows on you a sense of duty. If you are if you are in a relationship, raise your hand if you're in a relationship. Raise it to the glory of God and the shame of the devil. Or you are married, you can join them too. If you are not in a relationship, raise your hand to the glory of God also. Not really the shame of the devil. It's not your shame. But <laughs> I am just joking. I love you guys. I love everybody the same. Amen. Amen. But if you're in a relationship, you you know that your love for the person that you're in a relationship with confers on you a sense of duty. There are some things that you feel duty-bound to do because you love the person. Do you understand? That's how Christian giving must be approached. The Bible says when you give, it says do so cheerfully. It says not grudgingly or out of a necessity. When the Bible says don't give, give grudgingly, it doesn't mean dance to the front and give you. No! You can dance grudgingly. Is it true? Yeah, you can dance grudgingly. So when the Bible says, don't give grudgingly, it means that you should give freely. Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah, so you should feel that, that freedom. That Okay, the gospel needs this, I will give it. Do you get what I'm saying? And then the second is out of a necessity. He says, don't give out of a necessity. Do you know what it means to do something out of a necessity? It means that it is necessary to do this to get that. So if you are paying your tithes for blessings, you are giving out of a necessity. God doesn't like it. Are you hearing me? If you are sowing seeds, because the more you sow seeds, the more you wet the ground, so that you're re- you are giving out of a necessity. God doesn't like it. Christian giving cannot be transactional. God modeled the giving culture first. When he gave Christ, he asked for nothing in return. Do you get it? Christian giving can therefore not be transactional. Praise the Lord. But there must be a sense of duty to it because of love. Are you getting what I'm saying? So you are not now saying, oh, I'm a Christian. I must ginger myself to give. No. Let the love of God in your heart, the love you have towards God. You know that love that you always sing towards him? I love you forever. That love. Let it affect your finances. Are you getting what I'm saying? Let it affect your finances. Not out of, don't, don't feel that compulsion. I must, uh, they, they, are, they are forcing me to give. Praise Jesus. First Corinthians chapter 16 from verse 1 to 4. Let me see what's the time. Okay, we'll wrap up now. 1 Corinthians chapter 16 from verse 1 to 4. Are you learning something this morning? All right, praise the Lord. You know, Paul had such, before we read this, Paul had such, such a boldness in his heart when it came to giving. He spoke with boldness. 
as he spoke every other time. You know, it is an attack of the devil on the body of Christ to make pastors shy to talk about giving. Most pastors who are genuinely, like they genuinely love their members, are afraid to talk about giving. It's true. It's the truth. Most people are afraid. So what you now have is a church where the pastor is bearing all the burden, the financial burden of the church. So it's one or two or three or four people in the church that are bearing all the financial burden. And this is the thing. No one man's money can fund ministry, sir. Nobody's money. Because the thing about ministry is there will always be more to do. So if Jeff Bezos releases all he has for the ministry, there's more to do. Do you understand? We will then start, our vision will increase. Somebody drops um, billions of dollars for you for ministry. Vision has to increase. Now you're no longer thinking about Yaba. You're not thinking of the world. Is that true? No one man's money can fund ministry. God did not design ministry to be funded by one person. He designed, he designed to be crowdfunded or rather family funded. Are you getting it? But the devil knows this and many believers don't. So when, once money is mentioned like this, believers, believe, believers, they'll start shouting. What are they always using the money to do? Have you looked around you? Have you? And so every day you see churches that are closing. Do you know how many churches closed during the pandemic? Do you know? Many did. Many Churches are closing down, not for any other reason but finances. We can't pay rent. It's a problem. It is a big problem. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And so you go to, I, I don't like to try to use the Muslim community to teach our Christian brothers a lesson. But on this one, on financial matters, the people of this world are wiser. The people of this world are wiser. And you know the interesting thing? A lot of Christians join them. You are comfortable as a Christian. And listen, I have no... Okay, it would be a lie to say I don't have a problem. But do you? Where Big Brother Nigeria is concerned, do you? Just be careful. But you vote every week. Is it every week they vote? So I want it's time to vote. And people spend... Thousands of naira voting every week so that somebody will come out of the house and win a huge sum of money that will not affect you in any way or affect the gospel in any way. Look, see, if now I understand it is entertainment and people are allowed to like what they like, and I'm not fighting you for liking it, please just be careful, all right? Be careful what you consume. But at the same time, you can't do the same for the gospel. The joke is on you. Do you understand? The joke is on you. We come out and we say people are being persecuted. All you do is pray. And prayer is important. Make no mistakes. But we say we want to send relief materials to the north. And you can't give. The joke is on you. Are you hearing me? So you must have a renewed mindset towards your commitment for the gospel. 
You can't tell me you are committed to something if your money is not in it. Um, Not just the gospel now, relationship. One major way you know that you are committed to it is you put your energy, your money, your time, your resources in it. And let this not just be limited to money alone. I'm, I'm using money because this month we're talking about money, right? But let it not be limited to money alone. You have skills that the body of Christ can use. Are, are you using them? I have a problem. See, I believe that instrumentalists should be paid. I strongly believe so. But I have a problem when you are a member of a church... And you have music skill, you are waiting for the church to pay you before you do it. You know how problematic that is. Do you? It's a huge problem. Now, this is the interesting thing. If you came here, we will probably say, okay, let's try to take care of your transport. That's how much we can afford. Because we really can't afford. A lot of things we do, we do by faith. Just telling you the truth now. A lot of things we do in this church. We do by faith. Amen? Yeah. So you come here, you have skills that you can put into good use, but you don't. For the gospel's sake. The joke is on you. Praise Jesus. First Corinthians 16, let's wrap up here. It says, now, about the collection for the saints... It says, you should do the same as I instructed the Galatian churches. Look at the confidence with which Paul spoke. There was no um, mincing of words. He, he, wasn't, he wasn't being careful to trigger anybody or to upset anyone. He said, I've instructed the church in Galatia. We're going to come and collect money for the saints. I hope you know the collection for the saints was not, it's not spiritual gifts they were collecting. It was money, right? And next verse. He says, on the first day of the week, each of you is to set something aside and save to the extent that he wants. Every week, you will set something aside to the extent that you prosper. I said this last week. It is wrong that God has increased your financial capacity, but your givings are still the same. Praise Jesus. Listen. Let me say it like this. When it comes to church and giving to the church, if you truly don't believe that the money you are giving in the church is being used for the gospel, you have every right to question. Do you understand? And then if you don't get a a very good answer, you have every right to take your money elsewhere. I'm telling you now. But when you see a church like ours, you're a member of the church, and you can see that everything you give is used for the gospel, it is wrong that you don't allow your giving grace grow in an environment like that. That, okay, this was your giving capacity before because this is how much you used to earn. But then God increased you financially, and you did not see that your increment financially was for the gospel's sake. Listen, a man of consecration will understand that there is a secret to greatness and it's very cheap, aligned with what God is doing. Do you understand? So, whatever God has blessed you with, He didn't just bless you for blessing you. 
He blessed you for the sake of the gospel. Are you getting what I'm saying? He blessed you for the sake of the gospel. Some of you, you don't bring the money. Where you are, God will give you an idea. A wonderful idea for the gospel that needs funding. Funding that he has put in your account. What do you do? Fund it. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Close your eyes and fund it. Praise Jesus. He says, set aside, and, and that's important to note. Christian giving must be planned for, okay? You see that thing that people do where you just come, show up, and then they'll say, give everything your account. It's the instruction of the Lord for the moment. It's not Christian. Are you hearing? Paul sent a letter ahead to tell them first day of every week, set aside something. There's planning involved. Now, am I saying that on your own, God cannot just give you a leading to give everything in your account. He can. When he does that, it is a personal thing. It's not a doctrine. And it's not something you should share with the entire church. It's something he's instructing you to do. So you, you go and do it. Do you understand what I'm saying? <laughs> but, but please, don't ever go somewhere and then... The, because the truth is, eh, many of these people... You know, let me expose some of my Christian pastors, pastor brothers to you. You know that is a skill, bah? that raising money is a skill. There are some pastors that know how to do it. See, there are some pastors that if I see your face on the flyer, I know why they are calling you. It's to raise money, I know. And there's a way they will talk to you. But have you ever gone for such a meeting that after you are not thinking, why did I give everything? What, what happened to me? Raise your hand happened to you before. Don't ever feel so compelled to give that you just give everything without planning. That you now think that somehow God will take it. It does not work like that. I'll tell you, it does not work like that. <laughs> they tell you, don't worry. If you give it all, God will give it back to you. He said, there's no one of you who has left brother or sister who will not reap a hundredfold. Oh God, don't, it does not work like that. I'm telling you now. There is nothing about Christian giving that is transactional. Let me tell you now. If you are giving transactionally, you are doing it wrong. You are doing it the wrong way. So, if God, for instance, and, and this is the interesting thing. Before God tells you, give everything, he has a plan. So, if he tells you that, obey. But many times, like for instance, at the beginning of this year, we took a huge um, collection of um, offerings, right? But we started announcing it from like, October last year or September last year so that you can plan because I know that between December and February there are like four months four financial months you'll be broke you'll be broke again <laughs> so there's a system alright so he says um, so that no collections will need to be made when I come next verse he says and when I arrive I will send those whom you recommend by letter to carry your gracious gift to Jerusalem. So there is a place of financial accountability. So it's not just everybody he will send, but those whom they recommended before. Oh, we trust this person. Give them the money to carry it to Jerusalem. That's why I said when you come to your local church, demand accountability. There's a reason why I will stand here and I will announce, we want to buy um, a particular this one. No, it will cost us this amount. This is how much we pay for rent. This is how much. Because of accountability. 
Now, I understand why some people don't um, announce everything that is done with the money because sometimes um, part of the money is used for welfare. All right? And just imagine if... Um, I can use my wife because she's my wife. Just imagine if um, I now come out and my wife was not my wife. She was just a random church. I'm like, so church, um, on Tuesday, Ada was owing somebody 45K. So we gave her 45K. I hope it's okay, church. It's embarrassing, isn't it? So for that reason, some people just, if you demand, they will show you. But until it is demanded, you just keep your mouth shut. Do you understand? But there should be some structure of accountability and transparency within a local church. And we, I want to believe that we have that here. Anyway, so <laughs> it says, um, to carry your gracious gift to Jerusalem. Last verse, verse 4. It says, if it is also suitable for me to go, they will travel with me. So Christian duty, um, Christian giving is a duty. There is a dutiful aspect to Christian giving. Praise the Lord. So in this church, we're going to, from now going forward, have a proper giving culture. Do we agree? Do we agree? We'll have a proper giving culture. It's not Sunday morning you plan your offering. Do you get it? Plan it during the week. How much am I giving? You know, plan what you wear, plan what you give. Put it aside. Praise Jesus. Yes. Also, in the month, have, you know, you might not be able to have a budget for poor people, but sometimes you're driving by, there's money in your hand or you have some money in your car. You see somebody begging on the street, slow down, wind down, and give them the money. It will not take anything out of your body, I promise you. And don't do it because, oh, if I do it, God is watching me, he will bless me. No! He's watching you. He has blessed you. But just give. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Also, have a budget for your parents. Especially if they are too old to work. Send them something once in a while. Do you get what I'm saying? Help. Have a budget for your pastor, please. That one concerns me. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Amen. You know, some people have no honor. I, I feel led, not led, but I feel the urge to do a teaching on honor. Because a lot of Christians don't have, they lack honor for the gifts that God has sent to them. You invite the pastor to speak for you and he has finished preaching and you give him porridge jam. Because what? Oh, true life story. True life story. True life story. I know someone that they gave mosquito net. True life story. A married man that had kids that they, asked, they invited him to speak, did not take care of his transportation and then when he was done, gave him mosquito net. Married man. Married man. I'm serious. So now, if you want to ask me to speak for you, my PA will ask you, do you have a plan for transportation? Transportation is the is barest minimum. I was in my house on my own. You asked me to come out. It only makes sense that you transport me there and transport me back. So, so you can understand why some men of God have some very strict rules. I know one that if, if your conference is not at least three days, he's not going to come and speak for you. And here's why. The man travels everywhere. You will now call him to your conference and give him 20 minutes. They've done it to me before. I was living in Abuja then. 
And then the person invited me to Lagos and gave me seven and a half minutes to speak. I traveled from Abuja to Lagos to speak for seven and a half minutes. I could have done that over Zoom. Why did you ask me to come down? If it's not three, if your conference is not three days, and if I'm not speaking at least three sessions, don't call me. Praise the Lord. But that's by the way. Have you learned something? So we're going to have a proper giving culture. Budget to give. As you're budgeting to save, budget to invest, budget to give. Don't say when I have enough, I will give. You will never have enough. I'm not saying that you will never have more money. No, no, no. I'm saying that no matter how much money you have, it will not be enough. Am I saying the truth? So you will budget to give, you will budget to invest, you will budget to save, you will budget for all of those and then you use them. There's a man of God that God has used to make you who you are today. Don't just sit back and say, God bless you. You know, Paul said, Paul said that if I have sown spiritual things to you, he said, is it too much that I reap your material things? This was Paul's prayer. So, budget to give. Praise Jesus. And I'm, please, please, I'm not saying this for my sake alone. I'm saying this for training sake. Don't go and embarrass me in public. Amen? Amen. Don't embarrass me in public. Praise the Lord. Father, we thank you for the teaching of your word. We thank you because the entrance of your word gives light. And it gives understanding to the simple. Thank you because we've been trained and we've grown a little bit more. From all the things we have learned, as we taught today, Jesus was glorified and we were edified. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we have prayed. Thank you for listening. For more, head over to circlechurchglobal.org or visit any of the church campus addresses on the website. God bless you.